Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. We have a nice audience here today. We're coming to you live from downtown Seattle in the beautiful, lovely Hotel Andra. Uh, have you stayed in the new room since they remodeled last year? I have not the privilege yet. Well, you know, I, I, can, I get a little I think we can hook him so up. I'll, yeah, I can hook you I'll, up. I'll, so. I'll, I'll take you on this. You and Kathy want to do a little Eventually, yeah, we'll do a staycation here. downtown. Yeah. Eat breakfast across the street. We happen to have some restaurants in the area. I know. So, uh, good fun to go do. Uh, we are going to do a, a, our usual two-hour show. I'm just back from vacation in Hawaii, in the Big Island. Just got out in time. They were expecting two feet of rain starting Ooh. yesterday. Two feet of rain. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of water, a lot of wind, 80-mile-an-hour winds. So I'm happy to be home here in Seattle so, where it's just so miserable. On, so instead, instead super miserable. Instead, you came to Seattle to get cold rain instead of warm yeah, rain. Yeah, but it's coming down very slowly. You can join us on our YouTube channel. Go to Tom Douglas and Company uh, YouTube channel, and you can join us uh, for the fun that we have during our tapings here at the Hot Stove Society. We have lots of topics to talk about today. Are you the only person that gets the newspaper in paper form these days? It is uh, every single day. Every two, single day. Two print. Really? Okay. Right. Oh, yeah. I do, too, the Seattle Times, but Pamela gets the New York Times every day, and uh, of course, uh, you've heard us say it before, they have the best food section in the world, I think. And just, uh, this is from the Sunday, uh, January 29th edition. There's, it's, uh, you have a little article on soup. It's 50 pages. I know. <laughs> There's a lot I know. They, went, they, went, they went nuts. 50 pages. So uh, Terry and I are going to take on soup today. Uh, lots of different varieties and some classics and some do's and don'ts. Not just making fancy soup, but I have a few. I know you're yes, surprised. Yes, you do. I, have a few I know the number one thing I have for soups. Yeah. Okay, good. We're going to tell you that in a little bit. Calendar alert. Tons of Seattle restaurants are uh, getting together to do a little fundraiser for Turkey and Syria earthquake relief. Uh, of course, um, our buddy Jose Andres' World yep. Central Kitchen is uh, setting up shop there again. Uh, places like Rachel's Bagels and Burritos. Of course, all of our joints. Uh, my favorite of the group is Terra Plata. I just love that restaurant. Yeah. It speaks to me in a funny way. It reminds me of Palace Kitchen. Very much. Uh, we're going to talk about that for a bit uh, later on in the show. We're going to consider some shortcuts. And, Terry, this is coming down to you because I don't make cassoulet. You don't? But I would. I think I would these days. I never was a bean person, and I'm becoming as a, a bean person. You're a good human being. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. But you're going to give us some shortcuts how to make cassoulet. Can you do that, really? Well, we'll see. I believe that's a lie. We'll see. Terry we'll doesn't see. take shortcuts. Shortcuts can be very... I mean, there is plenty of ways to take shortcuts in cooking, but sometimes, no. So, yeah. we'll see. So, we'll um, see if we can take a shortcut on cassoulet. Pizza at home, how to get better results, maybe even close to restaurant results. Local jam makers are here. Sarah and Dave McCormick talk about their new uh, McCormick Jam Company. Taking culinary questions from our audience. Are they burning? Because Pamela said they're burning. Burning questions. Okay. And lastly, of course, we have our Rub With Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Uh, I want to thank our team for being here and setting up breakfast for all the folks in the audience today. You can get a ticket. Go to hotstovesociety.com. Sean is our technical director. Of course, Pam, our producer. And uh, the chef in the chapeau, my trusty cohort here, co-host on the Hot Stove Society radio show. Always here. Let's talk taste of the week. For Valentine's Day, I made, uh, for the first time we were at home, because, you know, we've run restaurants all our life, so we've never had Valentine's Day off, but this year we were at home and we were like, let's make a nice little dinner. So I asked Kathy what she wanted. She said, lobster and filet mignon. She said, we oh, never, ever la do la. that. 
She said, we never, surf and turf. We, never, we never do that. So I'm like, sure, let's do that. But well, we never get to the filet mignon. We get to the lobster, though. Well, what <laughs> I happened? Went to, I went to... What happened, chef? <laughs> oh, no, no, not Did that Did you way. get cooking in the kitchen or what? <laughs> hey, this is what happened. We started, yeah. with, Dom, we started with Dom Perignon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Holy smokers. That's um, a Valentine's Day to remember right there. I'm sorry. That wasn't the taste of the week. <laughs> the taste of the week is the lobster <laughs> and the salad. The first, we started with a nice smoked salmon salad with uh, avocado rings. I made some little avocado, smoked salmon. Mm-hmm. Nice little salad of endive, radishes, parsley, and um, a nice little argan oil lemon dressing. It was very simple and super, super delicious for that time of the year. Right. And then uh, the lobster, I just steamed the lobster whole, fresh, live, and then um, cut it in half, the shells, and then take the meat out, slice the, uh, the lobster very gently in nice little medallions. Nice little pieces. And then on the side, I had some red bliss potatoes and I blanched, peeled, and then I cooked them for three hours in olive oil, confit. Olive oil, rosemary, lemon, and what else? Bay leaf. Cooked that very slowly till they were totally like melt in your mouth, kind of like potatoes that you barely can uh-huh. touch. Put that under the lobster. Lobster medallion, I warmed them up in that same oil. Took them out one by one and finished with lemon juice. Holy mackerel. Ah, you were getting your rovers on. That was so sweet and delicious. Uh-huh. Very simple, but I haven't had lobster in a long time, actually. I, I don't normally eat lobster when I go out. Right. And, uh, but I did lobster for years at Rovers, so it was... Sounds delicious. I can't imagine why I wasn't invited for Valentine's. Needless to say, that was really delicious. Yeah. Okay, and a little, fine. a little crumble cookie for, um, with pastry cream... Then Kathy made that pastry cream crumble cookie from Morocco that we brought back. Mm. And uh, raspberries and whipped cream for mm. dessert. Lovely. Well, my taste of the week was um, I often cook. Uh, Pam and I were just in Hawaii for, on vacation as families together with her husband. And Hercules was there. And Loretta and Benjamin were there. And it was, uh, it was a, a houseful. Babe Shepherd from Red Mill Burgers was there. Uh, and so uh, one night I made... Uh, Maui meat. Does anyone remember AJ's meat? meat market up on the top of Queen Anne Hill? They always had this oh, kind yeah. of kind of teriyaki-ish pre-marinated meat you could you could buy, and they called it Maui meat. So that's what we've always called it Maui meat. It's like a Hawaiian tradition. Anyway, I bought some short ribs, the little Korean cut short ribs, and they were all marinated, ready to go. What's the one way you can really mess up a short rib? But cook them way too fast to start. No, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You can no, burn chef. them. No, chef. No? Okay. They're only this thick. All right, all right. The only way you can mess them up is to not cook them fast to start. Yeah, I was going exactly where because, you Because uh, you have to get them on a really hot grill because they cook so fast. You know, you don't have to braise them like, a, like you do short ribs. They, right. You can eat them rare. Sure. Got to have a super hot barbecue grill going, live fuel preferably. I have to buy my own barbecue every time I go to Hawaii because I go up to the Ace up in Waimea and buy a little Weber grill because all they have is a, a gas barbecue. Oh, no. Yeah, first world problems. Oh. Anyway, Pamela had them. Spectacular. Just the right amount of sweet Hot, and char. seared, char. And it, it, I, I've made them a dozen times. They only come out perfect once out of a dozen. <laughs> this was it. One yeah, because your fire has to be just right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in our next segment, we're going to get our soup on. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Very good. 
वेरी गुड यू नो समथिंग नॉट सो फॉर यू कम बैक वन ईयर Soup's on here at the Hot Stove Society Kitchen. I'm Cairo. One little, one little admonishment by our audience motivator, and boom, the crowd comes alive. <laughs> yeah, I, ju- I just wanted to make sure they were alive. Yes, no kidding. I get worried when the audience doesn't clap. I'm like, uh, Pamela, tell us about this uh, because this soup seems like right up your alley. I'm, I'm a late comer to soup. Maybe the last. 10, 15 years I got into soup, but you, that's, that's right up your alley. I know, and especially at this time of year. So I was appreciative of the work that they did in the supplement to bring in other international classics because it focused on alternative seasoning methods that are not in my pantry for everyday use. Right. Like um, the Senegali soup has tamarind and peanut butter. Uh, like, in the soup. In the soup. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, and there were, there's just all these exotic, wonderful, other cultural twists. So um, I'm crazy for it. And they broke it down into uh, creamy. They being the New York Times, yeah. They being yeah. the New York Times, thank you. Creamy, thick and chunky, and brothy. Right. And I am most attracted to the brothy category. And I made the miso soup uh, a couple of nights ago, and it was spectacular. Uh. Now, would you agree with me I, uh, that chili is not a soup or is a soup? It's not a soup. No. They have chili in here, too, and I was <laughs> no. a little disappointed. Chili I think I better chili call them. Yeah, chili's not soup. Chili is a stew. Just like if you go to any sort of restaurant and they say, what's your soup of the day? It's chili. Nah, I'm sorry. Okay, Jeff, uh, 30 seconds on your number one don't. I'm going to go first because I, know, I don't want wait, you to wait, steal wait, mine. Wait. Your number one don't when you're making soup. Never make a chunk in your soup that's bigger than your soup spoon. You should not, in a brothy soup, try to be cutting like a meatball in half or whatever. If you're making、uh, wontons, make them small. You know, blah, blah, blah. That's my rant. Go ahead. Don't peel your vegetable before you make a soup. Don't peel your vegetables. Yeah, you I mean,、said? yeah, I mean, like carrots and, you know, your, your carrots and your, your,、uh, your vegetable, like radishes. I see people do all kinds of crazy things before they make a soup. I'm like, no, no, no. That goes in the soup. <laughs> I mean, you're going to carrot peel? Are you kidding me? Don't peel your carrots before you put it in the soup. Fi- I'm just, I'm, I'm agape. Why? Well, I'm just, for that to be your number one thing, for radish, don't well, peel your radish. Well, because that's where all the flavors are. <laughs> to me, I'm like, I'm like, I want that to be in my soup. I don't want it to be out of my soup. Favorite soup to make? And try and make it so that it's not a three day soup. Because, you know, your onion soup takes a, you know, takes a long time. I wasn't going to say onion soup. I know. Well, I didn't know that. <laughs> But it does, some soups take a really long My time. My favorite soup to make is、uh, it starts with rendered bacon, onions, carrots, celery, beans, tomato, and lots of seasoning, fresh herbs, if you can have it. Tarragon is my favorite to put in that. And that's it. When you render the bacon,、and、you pull、stuff. it out crispy. So, the bacon is rendered. You pull the bacon out of the, out of the, out of the pan, crispy.、Yeah. And then you put in your onions. You sweat all your onions, your carrots, your celery. You just give them a nice little sear in there. Then you add your tomato. Then you put your beans. And the beans d o e s n t take forever. You can use fresh beans that's already cooked. Or you can use a canned bean.、Mm-hmm. There are some delicious canned beans on the market.、Uh, frozen beans, fresh. You can, you, can, you, can do, you can do all of that. So, and、uh, chicken stock, lots of fresh herbs in. 
45 minutes, you've got the most delicious soup. By the way, that's a soup, and if you can make it a day or two earlier, it's even better. The more it macerates, the better it is. But do you serve that with big chunks of uh, crusty bread, or what do you like to serve? Dahlia bakery bread, big slice, really, really, really well toasted, big slunk of salted butter on top uh-huh. of that, and then go at it. See, if Pamela? you don't like butter, you can use nice uh, virgin olive oil. That would be nice, too. Yeah. Pamela, your favorite soup? Uh, I just made a creamy carrot potato leek. Mm-hmm. It had a rich uh, chicken broth, and uh, the texture was so satisfying, and that underlayer of the butter-sautéed leeks really enhanced the carrot. And I saw in, in the article, um, they finished the creamy cauliflower with a rosemary oil. Mm-hmm. So I want to do an infused oil to finish that soup with. And do you use an immersion blender yeah. then to get your creaminess? Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's one of those tools in the kitchen that I never used to have or use very much, and now I use it all the time, especially so now that I have me. a battery-operated one. <laughs> <laughs> because you don't have that, you know, running word I know, right, plug right. Cord, always, it, bring the hot soup to the outlet. Yeah, much blah, blah, blah. easier. So much easier. And you're starting to see this, like power tools in wood shops with the Milwaukee brand. You're starting to see kitchen tools that have an exchangeable battery uh, for little mixers and for uh, burr blenders, even things like food processors, because you can take them anywhere. Right. It's it's super nice. Uh, I mean, who doesn't want to be working on a two-by-four making yourself a cocktail? Yeah, why not? (laughs) What's your soup? My soup uh, this week, uh, as a favorite, was... Uh, up in Hawaii, uh, in the little hill town of Waimea, we went up to get the Huli Huli chicken. Excellent. And by the way, I will tell you that uh, I was there. It's called G, G&T uh, Huli Huli Chicken. And I was up there, and they told me that my article that I wrote for the Alaska Airlines magazine years ago changed their life. Isn't that crazy? They said... That it drove people it to drove their truck? It drove people up there to their <gasps> truck. Because you know when you're not when you're in Hawaii and you don't have a ton of things to do, you just go take a drive. And if you have a purpose for your drive, it's in the parking lot, by the way, of Kamawela Liquors, and what a good combination that is. <laughs> so you get these nice smoky Pretty chickens, good. and you pull the chicken, and uh, then you have all the bones. So I made chicken stock from the bones, and then I had furikake left from our short rib meal. And I used that for the seaweed. So chicken, smoky chicken broth, and the furikake. It's a seaweed kind of shake. Uh, and then uh, miso. And we had those zucchinis in the fridge. I did diced zucchinis. I hate zucchinis. I know. And I did diced zucchini. So I had the crunchy zucchini, the soft tofu, the smoky chicken broth, and I had red miso. So oh, really gorgeous. fermented and delicious miso. Boom. No noodles? Noodles? No noodles? No noodles. No. no. Oh, wow. No. I'm impressed. It was, it was the starter of a spring roll wrap Lunch. Okay. So spring rolls with lettuce yeah, yeah. leaves and herbs and stuff like that. Nice, delicious. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go um, fancy, consommé. I love a good consommé. Oh, yes. I love making consommé. Let's put it this way. And I like, I like the flavor of the consommé. So a good consommé starts number one with a good stock. So if you don't want to make a consommé from scratch, which I don't know why you would want to make a consommé if it's not from scratch, but um, make course. a good stock. Yeah, you don't want to clarify canned stock. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, if you're going to spend your clarification on the stock. But good bones, well-roasted, dark. So it could be kine fowl, it could be chicken, it could be uh, beef, it could be veal. Nicely roasted with vegetables, tomato paste, 
water to cover all that very highly and then cook very slowly for quite some hours, six, seven, eight, ten hours. Strain the whole thing up and then make what's called a clarification. So clarification is you have your stock that's cold and you make a an egg white clarification with ground vegetable and some of the meat then you've then you're trying to get flavor from if it's a beef stock you use a little bit of ground beef carrots onion celery and and, and then uh, egg wash uh, egg white and then mix the whole thing together grounded put that into the stock bring the stock slowly to heat and the egg white will use will coagulate with the vegetable and bring all the impurities up it's called a raft comes to the top and then gently you press in the middle and keep cooking this very soft gently for about an hour and a half and you get all that flavor from that raft added to the stock and then you take gently you take all the liquid out and you have this beautiful clear brown consomme full of flavor so do you like that as a starter? Do you like that oh, yeah. under uh, like a, a veal well, so then, what do you? How do if you, like you have that kind of gold in your refrigerator, you can do so many things. But first thing is you can do a broth to start with just added vermicelli to it. Or you can do a wonton and a steamed wonton and then put that into it. Or you can do some main lobster and put that into it. Or you can do, I mean, there's a million things you can add to it. Good uh, advice. Next up, how to make a, a weeknight version of cassoulet on Cairo Radio. It's the hot stove. I bet you I can make you sing the Campbell Soup song. I bet you I can make you sing the Campbell Soup song. It's the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio. It's good to look out in the audience and see some mimosas in the house. That's I know. It's always a fun way to start the day. Uh, Pamela, you have uh, insisted that Chef Terry get out of his comfort zone. Yes. And try to think about making a classic winter, French winter dish called cassoulet without taking maybe the... Five days. Is that what typically is that? Yeah. Is that because you? No, it takes three well, days. Three, yeah. Okay. Let's sorry. Not exaggerate. Okay, That's bad sorry. enough. Three days. <laughs> so That's commitment. Uh, tell us. Uh, tell us some of the hacks that you found, and then let's see if it makes Terry come around, or if he comes runs screaming out of the studio. Oh no. Oh, no, no. <laughs> in 252, Don Perry wrote an article about weeknight cassoulet, wanting the satisfaction of that salty, porky combo with beans and then a crunchy top. And I've looked at cassoulet. I wanted to make it for New Year's Eve, but it was like, yeah, it, just buying all the four different kinds of pork products and confiting the duck. It's mm-hmm. like, um, let, let's, let's have it. soup. Let's, yeah. have, let's have broth soup. <laughs> let's have a broth. Let's plain broth <laughs> for New Year's Eve. Let's have some broth instead. <laughs> so this, the hack was uh, sausages. So you buy pre-made sausages. Canned beans, keeping the jus of the bean. Um, the traditional powerful onion, celery, carrot. Mix and then top with Ritz cracker. 
He's still, that, sitting. That was, He's still was, sitting in his chair. That was the, uh, Could the you that, eat that? That Ritz cracker you can have. So far, I was following you more or less. You know, yeah, I get, I get the gist of what they're trying to do. But you know, there is a main ingredient that's not in there, which is duck. Okay, so there is many ways to get around everything. I mean, if you want to cheat, this is a great cheater. Call D'Artagnan, D-A-R-T-A-G-N-A-N, and order your cassoulet from D'Artagnan. <laughs> so that's your hack. That's my hack. That's your hack. <laughs> Hello. Or if you, you want to go go closer to home, call Daisley over at uh, Cafe Campagna. Exactly. I mean, he'll deliver it to you on the in bicycle. the pot on the bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's those Truly. are. That's what he did during COVID. Yeah. yeah. He's still doing it. I'm sure. Oh, is he still? I think he's still doing the. the, the anyway. So you don't have to call D'Artagnan. I will follow you your footstep on using either frozen or canned beans because I think it's a. It's what one kind way. of bean, chef? I would say just regular white navy bean. White navy beans, okay. You know, those are probably the closest to the, the original uh, bean from Tarbe bean. So that's a one. Two, the pork, I would just use some uh, uncured uh, bacon. Mm. So why do you say uncured? Because that's not something people have. Why not this regular smoke? You can bacon? find it in every store today. Okay. You can find it. I know everywhere. you can buy it. I was just, just yeah. curious why you... Ch- Oh, man, if you don't have a cure, just use... I, I, to me, I'm the smokiness sure. would be a nice addition. Yeah, but I'm not as keen on the... Most bacon that's cured is not... To me, doesn't give the same flavor. Okay. It's right. a different flavor. I'm not looking for that. So uncured bacon, and cut it as big as possible in terms of... Not as big as possible. Thick is what I'm trying to say. So you end up with cube, not end up with thin slices of julienne of bacon. You render that gently in a pot. Then you had your, your small diced carrots and onion and celery... You know, the usual suspects. Then you put in, you put in your beans. Then now, now you have a pork bean stew. That's what you have, basically. It's a good beginning. <laughs> the duck leg confit, you buy it. And you can find it in many places. I tell you, I've been buying the one at uh, Ballard Market from yeah. uh, Maple Leaf Farms. Yeah, yeah. And it, they, they sous vide it right in the, in the pack, so you get the juices and you get the extra fat. That's Correct. an excellent and product. And just give it a hard sear, and it's done. Yeah. yeah. Give it a sear in a pan, and put it in your bean stew. After you've done the searing, just let it sit in there, and while you're warming up everything, it will add flavor and moisture in the, the, uh, the dryness of the, of the uh, duck, if there is any. And then buy a nice, beautiful made sausage. Let's talk about that for a second. We are lucky enough, Pam and I, to have in our neighborhood the Beast and Cleaver. Yeah. Uh, with maybe a dozen different kinds of sausages. My inclination would be a sausage de, uh, Lyon yeah. sausage or sausage. Toulouse. Yeah. Toulouse so would be di- kind of perfect, right? Yeah, that would and be perfect. What is, what's the difference, say, between an Italian sausage well, and a one Toulouse is, sausage? One is blended more. It's, it's, a, it's a cut between a, a, like a hot dog kind of texture uh-huh. and a, a and a Italian mild sausage. Okay. So that's that's a texture without thing. Without the fennel, though, because the Toulouse. Correct. Yeah. Without the fennel. So, but my point is, it's it's more textural than anything else, with a little added southern, of France flavor of spice like fennel. We call that southern France. Really? Yeah. In Toulouse sausage. Yeah. Really. So you have just a little bit of that and sage, uh, rosemary added to it. So, I mean, the the texture is where it's at. So it's right between uh, an Alsatian in France. We would say between an Alsatian. Sausage for like sauerkraut, you know, the blended. Yeah. Versus between that and a mild Italian sausage. So if you think of a hot dog or bologna as kind of a mousse. Right. Uh, it's a not, mousse, it's uh, not sausage, that far. Right. And then you think of a classic Italian sausage as kind of a, loose. a much bigger grind, yeah. loose Correct. sausage. So those are the differences. Right in between yeah. those two. Yeah. And uh, so in, in the classic cassoulet, you have lamb stew, you have... Sausage. Lamb you have, stew, did you say? Yes, sir. I didn't yes. know that. 
And there's so many meats in it. Well, it, there is, and there is no actual, there is sausage and there is uh, duck leg, confit. That's what's in and, the... And you said uncured bacon. So in, in, the, in the cassoulet region of France, there is three recipes. One with the three items I just told you, one with two, and one with one. And then the last one is, of course, the duck. Always the duck. Always the okay, duck. Okay, so yeah. when I've seen it come out, it comes out in a big uh, ceramic or a cast iron pot. Right. So is it layered? Are you, are you layering the beans? You're putting, no, no, you're putting the meat in the bean, and you're putting the breadcrumb on top. Oh, so it's more like a big bean stew with all the meat. Correct. But you leave the, like the duck confit in a chunk, right? Well, we, we do that now, yes. We do, we do, yes. Originally, yes. It's, everything is buried in the beans, breadcrumb on top, and then finished in the oven so it bakes. So the top is like a little topping. Uh-huh. And then all under the broiler. And then you take the beans out, and then you, of course, pull the meat as you go. Uh-huh. So normally, in a classic cassoulet, you have a little bit of lamb stew on the bottom, and you have a piece of sausage or sausage, and then you have a duck leg. Huh. So it's a pretty meaty, very robust kind of meal. So when I've had it sometimes, uh, I've rarely had it where I felt like, wow, this is perfect. Right. But I've had it often where it comes off a little bit dry. Right. And is that because people are not cooking their beans enough to begin with? So they're, they're soaking up everything as it bakes That's as because a whole? they don't have enough liquids in their bean, period. So they just need more stock. Yeah, more stock in the bean. What if the beans start to break down into a paste? Uh, well, that's too right? cooked. That's, that's overcooked, too- yeah. The thing about cassoulet is you don't want it underbaked or undercooked, but you don't want it overcooked because if it's puree, now you have a bean puree on your hand. And not- yeah, refried bean kind of texture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's not what you're looking for. But you're not looking for crunchy bean either, so definitely cook the beans all the way. And the tarbay bean, which is a specialty... How do you spell that? T-A-R-B-A-I-S... Arbay. It's the name of a city in France, close to Carcassonne, which Carcassonne is allegedly the, the uh, American capital of Cassoulet. But the capital of Cassoulet that they're fighting for in France is Castelnaudary. That's like supposed this small town, <laughs> which is supposed to be the What, what are they birth. fighting about? Who well, because, to because be Carcassonne is going to say, no, it's us. Toulouse is going to say, no, it's us. No, it's it. Everybody's got a little... Food in the marketing part. But cassoulet is a great dish to go back to our story of how do you make it on a Wednesday night. Well, you can only make cassoulet if you have a duck confit in the, in the freezer or in the fridge. Cryovac, like you say, you buy mm-hmm. it at uh, Met Market or whatever, one of those stores. And then you, then you can do your cassoulet because if you have some good beans in a can and some go frozen, then you can do all that. You know, it's, it's, it's all about the flavor and about the timing. So cassoulet does really well like most good stew they do very well if you cure it for a few days. So you make it on Sunday and you eat it on Thursday is a great idea. Uh-huh. That's the hack right there. Make it on the weekend and eat yeah, it later. Exactly. <laughs> and it's very hard to make. You better have another roast chicken on the stove when you're doing this because making cassoulet and not eat it is really, really hard. A lot hard. of discipline required. <laughs> you're watching that thing cook for hours, then you got to put it in the fridge? Hell no. I'm going to eat it now. now. Uh, <laughs> would you say that cassoulet should never... Be eaten after May 1st and before November 1st? I say, do whatever your belly asks you to do. Really? <laughs> we Cassoulet have, in August is We okay? have two brains. We have one up in the head and one in the tummy. <laughs> Make sure you listen to the one in the tummy. I mean, Words the, the reason by. Tom is saying this is because it's a very hard, hefty dish. Very meaty and very... So, obviously... Uh, when it's 80 degrees outside, that doesn't come to mind to want to eat that. But in the winter, and May, May here is definitely beautiful, springy. 
So yes, I'm with you on that. So that would be then I would say never eat cassoulet after May 1st and before November 1st. Personally, right. Never is a big word, Tom. Yeah, I've I've seen some very whether bad weather it's in June. a weeknight hack or whether it's a, a five day process. In my mind, it's a winter dish. Okay, when we come back, you know, we do tons of classes here at the Hot Stove Society, and one of the most popular is pizza to make at home. Pizza at home. Pizza at home. People can't get enough of it. I know. It's just, and it seems, uh, seems like it, uh, like it, it should be perfect and easy to do, but it's not. On Cairo Radio, that's up next, uh, 97.3 FM. Why don't you, uh, you should do that out loud so that I... I'm laughing. I'm laughing. We're in the Hot Stove Society kitchen in the beautiful Hotel Andra. Man, we got some live audience today. Look well, at their house. They're all handsome. eating. They're eating their toast, and, and I see a little Even arugula out there. Even with food, they were applauding. I like that. and mushrooms, and it's a big, 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 big day here at the Hot Stove. Chef, uh, let's elevate some pizza. And if you can, Pam, would you get Chef Annie out here real quick for me if, if you could find her? Thank you. Uh, we At the hot stove, we offer uh, pizza at home classes. People love it. And they, and they come and they make their pies and they take them home with them. It's ridiculous and how popular that is. I, I understand. Hey, Annie. Uh, Annie is our director here. Will you get on the mic here and tell us uh, what the number one questions are that pizza, people have when they try to make good pizza at home? Because I have my things that I would say. Um, they would ask what temperature oven and do they need a pizza stone or not? That's the first questions. Yeah. And uh, yes, yes. The hottest you can go in your oven. Yes. Yes on the pizza stone. Yes. Or steel. I have a pizza steel. Yeah. Um, well, here we also do like um, half sheet tray or like cookie sheet. Uh-huh. We flip it over, uh-huh. and that could be really, really hot. But you need like kind of a thicker commercial grade, not like yeah. the really thin one where you get I don't know um, the cheap stuff. You get a Ross or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Can't you? Can't you? You I buy mean, your pizza pans at Ross. Isn't it? Isn't Not it me. Isn't Ross, it, it's called Ross Dress for Less. <laughs> well, isn't it better if you use cast iron, like a cast iron pan upside down? Yeah, in no, your no, oven? upside down sheet pan, I think. But most people don't have. Well, you could use like if you have a big cast iron griddle, you can use it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just because. And the, the darker, the better. I yeah. Think. Yeah. The blacker the pan, the better. Because you don't want limpy crust. No. You want crust that can hold up on its own when you hold the pizza slice. Exactly. All right. Thank you, Annie. You're thank welcome. you so much. So I would say for for me, and we just made pizza uh, in uh, two days ago. Whatever flat service you can get, get it into your oven at the highest temperature possible. And if you happen to have convection, leave it on. Right. Even at five hundred, leave it on. And explain why. Just be well convection because. It runs hotter because of the air movement than regular ovens. And Keeps you, things even. Like in our, in our pizzerias that we have, we run our oven close to 600 degrees. In pizzerias like uh, Tribunale or um, yeah, Tutabella, they're at 800 and some right, degrees. Right. Uh, that's too hot for me because I don't get my dough cooked all the way through. 
and that's important in, as right. far as what I want as a finished product. But anyway, so at home, a really dark uh, cast iron pan or pizza stone or pizza steel is and um, as hot as you can get it is the best place to get started. Yeah. I have a 14-inch or 16-inch round stone in my oven. It's always in there. I use So the lower shelf has the stone, higher shelf doesn't. In case I need to cook, you know, two different things right. at once. But the stone is always there because it doesn't hurt one way or the other. You know, it's, it's good to have an oven that has a very, very hot bottom. Right. But I, I would say if you're cooking pizza at ho- in a home oven, you want to elevate it to the top of your oven. That's oh, yeah, where it's yeah, going to yeah, be yeah. the hottest in Absolutely. your oven. Yeah. But if you're just keeping <clears throat> the stone in your oven, it helps keep temperature steady in your oven. Correct. Even if you're making cookies or making, braising something. Or, yeah. yeah, my 52, 1952 Roper is only off by 25 uh, degrees, the which degrees. is, and awesome. I know it. Yeah. So, uh, next thing, dough. Dough. Now that's what I was reading was it shouldn't be cold when you start working with it. So Correct. Tell you me more about your that. Dough. How do you so, how do you temper it? So you uh, have your dough mixed, and you can choose your own variety of dough. Uh, I like to keep it in the fridge for a day or two to let it kind of work, and then I pull it out onto the counter for a half hour. I have made in the fridge. I, I make it in the dough balls. Mm-hmm. So and so when I pull it out, it's already in dough balls, and I pull it out and I let it temper on the counter. So I let it come up to room temperature, and then I work it. But the key is you work it on the peel. If you don't have a peel, you know what a peel is? I have one. Peel is that kind of big blade that you see in pizzerias, right? Wood you, or metal. Wood or metal, and you kind of you put your uh, cornmeal down or your semolina down, and you put your crust out on the peel. So that it's ready to be loaded. Uh-oh. Don't hit him with Julie's going to spank me with a peel here. <laughs> if you don't have a peel, do it on a piece of parchment paper. Right. Because then you can just move that pizza crust all the way around. Even if the dough sticks to the parchment, once it's cooked halfway, you can move it around. Right, right. Yeah. And then just put the parchment right in the oven with the pizza, and halfway through, pull the parchment out. Because it will flame. Up. Yeah, it can flame at that temperature. At 600 yeah. degrees, it will. Yeah. Uh, my reading was that you should never use a rolling pin on the dough. You sh- it should always manually stretch it. Why, why would that be I don't know so why important? that is, but I will tell you, it's sexy to stretch pizza dough. It has just a great silky feel about it. And um, I run it across my fist. I don't use my fingers. I use my fingers to kind of get it to a round that I uh-huh, want. Uh-huh. And then I start to run it over my fist. And I just stretch it with the top of my knuckles. And just let the dough kind of curl around my hands. Use gravity. Use gravity. Mm-hmm. And then you just simply take your hands and turn them over and put the dough onto your parchment mm. or onto your peel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just turn your fist right over. So they've been upright to stretch. Then turn them over with the dough on and just... And then I have a, I have a phobia. I don't like round pizza. No round pie. I know why. No round I, I know why. No round pie. Why you is Because you can't make it round. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you get the phobia. Maybe that's how you, you get you get the phobia because you're like this thing sucks. I'm, gonna, I'm never gonna make it. Pizza around is so stupid. Then you then you, <laughs> then you work with what you got. And exactly. You, and you cherish uh, the pizza, non-round pie. You know, it's not the most important part. Is not the round part. That, of course, is a craft that many pizza makers have, and it's beautiful when they do it. You know, they twirl that pizza in the air, and it's it makes a beautiful circle and yeah. beautiful round. But yeah, don't fight the. Don't fight the energy of making it round for making it better. So that's like use your energy on focusing on doing it right Right. in thickness, in heat, 
And in flavor, you know, it's also the next thing is we're going to talk about is the topping. You know, don't don't put the whole refrigerator in there. <laughs> That's true. So uh, my dough is now on my parchment or my peel. Uh-huh. I now slather it with garlic and olive oil. Right. I will spoon on either tomato sauce if I'm going to go tomato or just build from there. And then... Uh, lightly. Huh? Lightly. Lightly, lightly. So for a 12-inch oblong pie, you probably want four ounces of tomato sauce, mm-hmm. maybe... Five. Right. And just spread it out thin. And Pizza all is a flavored bread. Think of that. Lesson of the day. It's, it's a flavored bread. It's not a dish. It's not a main course. It is a it's, main. Yeah. You're, oh, you're, whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, back off, pal. Uh, so now we've got our sauce on. We've got our olive oil, our garlic. Uh, we're going to put on light toppings, good cheese. Use less cheese, but better cheese. Exactly. Right? And pop, use the melting cheese. Pop it in the oven. <laughs> well, you don't necessarily have to because you can cheese when it's 80% cooked so that when you put it back in the oven, it just warms the cheese. True. If you use uh, fresh curd, you and that's, that's important. I like that. Uh, you do that at Serious Pie, right? Yeah. The, yeah. Cheese, the cheese is a late addition. It's not right. at the beginning correct. of the cooking Dep- Depending time. on the pie, but yes, you are correct. Correct. Like, we don't never put Reggiano in the oven, right? We simply right. grate it over top after the pizza comes yeah. out. Yeah. And the explanation is it's too hot, so the fats break down. Right. You end up with this oil. You spend $20 pizza. a pound on cheese, and then you break it. Yeah. And if you really want a hands-on version of that, go to hotstovesociety.com, and you can sign up for one of our pizza classes. Super fun. Uh, right here with Annie Elmore. Uh, we're going to welcome uh, Sarah and Dane McCormick of McCormick Jam Company into the next hour. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Welcome back to the Hot Stove Society Kitchen on Cairo. This is our number two. Or if you're podcasting us, this is segment number five. Yep. Right? So a lot of people do that, apparently. A lot of people also like the idea of maybe starting their own business. We found this in the, the whole COVID pandemic is that many, many people started their own kind of home businesses. Right, right. And uh, I don't know that that's the case with our next guest, but Pamela, how did you find these folks? We got a very genuine and enthusiastic email from Dane uh, talking about their company because I either go out and solicit guests or guests come to us. And Mm -hmm. his note was so sweet and genuine. I said, I I have to meet these people. Uh And I looked at the website and there was a, a wonderful tribute to how they do their sourcing so they're a great fit for us i can't wait to learn more thank you well and we're going to learn more from sarah and dane mccormick of mccormick jam company uh and so welcome to the hot stove kitchen welcome thank you for having us absolutely uh tell us about how you got started and then uh were you always a jam lover well, when I first met Dane, his mother, I, he would take me over to his house and she would just have all these boxes of all these fresh berries that she picked and she'd be making jam for her kids that were little at the time. And I was just so intrigued. I was always eating the berries. And when I was a kid, I used to always go pick blackberries all the time. And so I was just like, 
oh, where do you get all these berries? And I'm like, babe, we should go do this together. Mm. And so finally, like, we never got a chance to it. We were always so busy. And finally, one summer after we got married, we're like, we're going to go pick berries. We're going to do this. And so we just had all these different kinds of berries. I mean, we were sourcing all these strawberries, blueberries, raspberries, apples. And we're like, let's make some jam, like your mom. And we had all these jams, and we're like, you know, maybe we should think about starting a business. And so we started practicing more. We started reaching out to more fruit, and we realized that we don't really like white sugar. We wanted to make the jam a little healthier. And so we thought, you know, raw sugar. But we're like, how can we make this more unique in us? And we've always loved honey, and so we thought we should include some honey in it. And so we started playing around with recipes, making them our own, and Sure enough, the jam was just amazing, and we had to share it with our community, and we started super small doing little events here in Duval, and we just started getting bigger and bigger, and then once the pandemic actually happened, because we started in 2018, after the pandemic happened, I mean, people just started wanting to support more small, more farms, and we honestly just started thriving more during the pandemic. It was amazing. Well, and to be honest, she's uh, amazing in everything she does, so I was, like, really uh, excited. Uh, <laughs> you're going to go a long way, brother. <laughs> well, I, I'm obsessed. We've been together for 12 years, and mm-hmm. I'm obsessed with everything she creates. And so we wanted to find something that she was really truly appreci- that she was truly appreciated with. And so we just got really obsessed with our berries, and... Next thing you know, she creates this product, and I love my sales. Uh, I love, I get excited about that. So, being able to have something that she wouldn't get burnt out on, you know, was just really important to us. Mm-hmm. So we found something that she just—I mean, she, she's a machine. She just makes so many. She makes you know <laughs> a couple hundred jars easily a day and stuff when she when we're in the kitchen. And it started out as a cottage food business that we, uh, you know, we got our license that allows us to cook at home. Right, and that was great up until the point. To where we were just, you know, inundated with mass amounts of jam and everything. So We grew out of that license very quickly. <laughs> yeah. So as of this year, we actually upgraded to a food processor license, which is even better because with that license, we're able to be on store shelves, which we could finally share more of our product now with not only just our small community, but even with stores now. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and we utilize an awesome community kitchen in Berrien through Discover Berrien, and it's incredible. It's fantastic. I mean, it's it's put on Sorry. by the. Oh, you uh, said Discover Billion. That was yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's a great opportunity to you know uh, show off like you know how they you or sh- showcase everybody's small businesses and mm-hmm. they promote the wonderful businesses in Billion that we grew up in the, that community and stuff. And so now because of this business, we've been able to start a family. She quit her job. We have two little ones because of this. Our business is almost five years old. And our we have our daughter is four and our son is two, so this was really allowed us to be able to live that dream that we wanted, you know. So. Can the kids can wow. the kids eat the jam? Oh, oh the kids love, love the jam. Yes. <laughs> and they get so excited when we bring all the fruit home. They go out and help us pick and source. It's such an, a fun adventure for all of us. Well and our and our little daughter, Adelie, she uh, she sets up a farmer's market stand every couple of nights. Oh, does she? Good. And she at home and so she puts together whatever you know fruit we have in the house some cool toys that she has she tries to sell me on them and it just like it gets my heart so warm yeah that's right. <laughs> so uh, imagine all the folks listening out there and thinking about 
well, maybe I'd like to start a business like this because my pancake batter is like the best. You know, how that's how people feel, right? So any pitfalls you would steer people around uh, that you came across in your five years? Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. We're actually, uh, his uh, stepmom, Tony, she's actually starting her own cookie business with the cottage food. Because uh-huh. since we started with cottage food, we're really trying to just put it out there with all of our friends that make amazing products, just anything. We're like... Especially if it's food related, we're like, you know, look into the cottage food licenses, like get your product out there. Everyone would love to, sh- we'd, you'd love to share it with everyone. Everyone would love to try it. We get really excited about so start our small. friends and family. Yeah, just yeah. start small. Do what you love. Do little tiny markets here and there. Be Even ambitious. do little pop-ups. Yeah, just go out and talk to people. Go ask. If you see something you like, go up to someone and say hi and ask how they've done it. You know, a lot of people can't do that. You act like that's it's such scary. An easy, it is easy scary. Thing to it's do. very scary. But it's no, funny, but just I'm, little I'm conversations. It, yes, it is scary. But I mean, this is America. This is the only place in the yeah. world where you can actually do this and make it happen. Yeah, because honestly, I'm actually one that. of those people at markets. I love when people come up to me and ask how I've done it. Like, ask me all the questions you want. Some people love to hear it. Yeah, well, that's no, that's fantastic. So, yeah. I do a lot of jams every year. I mean. Tom has been the recipient of it. He doesn't eat them. But, but anyway, I do a lot of jams and vinegars. And it's not, it's, it's, it's project that you have to account for in your life. But, you know, we live in one of the best places in the world to get best berries. And we have beautiful berries and wild. And all go to you pick farm in Duval, Monroe, whatever. I go pick mm-hmm. my blueberry in Monroe. And, uh, you know, all those different places. But we have very lucky to have all, all this beautiful product. And it's not that expensive. And it's a commitment. And once you buy all the jars, you know, make your friend bring it back or whatever. It doesn't matter. But point is, it's not that complicated to do a day dedicated to canning. Not hard all right. When we come back, let's talk about that. Where do you get your fruit? How do you source it? Uh, you're now in a more of a commercial kitchen. What changed there? And some of the flavors that you've developed uh, would be nice. Our audience has all got little tastier plates of jam out there. Uh, we want to hear more about that on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society show. We're talking with Sarah and Dane McCormick of McCormick Jam Company on 97.3 FM. From uh, the Hotel Andra, downtown Seattle, if you're down in our neighborhood, 4th and Virginia. We're jamming away. We're jamming away. And I also want to remind people on, is it the uh, February February 22nd? It's a Wednesday. Next week, we are, uh, as a restaurant community all over town, um, and you can find this information on our website later today, but uh, we're getting together to donate 20% of our proceeds or profits. I'm not sure if one or the other for some earthquake relief over there in Turkey and Syria. I know the number is over 40,000 now, and it's just such a tragedy that's going on over there. Uh, there's so much damage that you can't even find people. You know, yeah. yeah, and Jose Andres from the Wood Kitchen is already there. Yep, feeding people as much as he can, as much as they can, and yeah, he's exactly. well equipped for that. So it's to support his cause. So yeah, look, at, look us up. Uh, Make a reservation Wednesday the 22nd in any restaurant in Seattle that participates in raising funds and um, 
you will be helping the cause. I'm sure the list is growing. There's at least 40 on the list that I'm looking at right now, and I bet that list is growing coming every day, by the yeah. minute. So, okay, we're going to jump right back in with Sarah and Dane McCormick of McCormick Jam Company for two full segments today. Our, our second one is right now. We talked a little bit about how you created your business, uh, maybe some ideas that could help other people do the same. Uh, not necessarily jam. We don't want to stay out of the jam market. Uh, like, you know, cookies or pancake batter. Bring it on. Bring know. it on. Oh, Dane is very competitive. I like this. He's not worried. You can take my spot in the trivia today because I'm not feeling it today. So, uh, Anyway, so let's talk about some of the places you get your fruit and then how you decide on what flavors to make. Okay. Well, yeah. So our, uh, our best seller is our strawberry balsamic jam. It tastes like a fresh strawberry right off the field with a 25-year barrel-aged balsamic vinegar that uh, really elevates what is normally an overly sweet strawberry jam to a fresh off the field strawberry taste. So therefore, we love using it with like... You're a salesman, buddy. Oh, man, I love it. I get fired (laughs) up, which you can find us at the Fremont Sunday Market every Sunday and everything. All right. But yeah, so our strawberry balsamic jam, she'll incorporate into a vinaigrette for a salad. She'll put it over a meatloaf. We do a smoked meatloaf that is delicious. Mm-hmm. Also, our raspberry jam is like our traditional. Everybody loves a good raspberry jam. And she'll it's actually. dynamite. Yeah, I just oh, had it. Yeah, yeah it's really and good. The raspberries we get from uh, where was it? Spooner Farms. Sorry. Uh, and then uh, the strawberries that we get are Puget Crimson strawberries from Duras Farms over in Kent. Mm-hmm. Really wonderful family. And then our uh, all of our peaches, apricots, and nectarines are from uh, Lateral Roots Farm over in Wapato. Same connection as uh, Metropolitan Market for their peach mm-hmm. Rama peaches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right near our farm over yeah, there. Yeah, those too. are yeah. delicious. Yeah, and then uh, the... The blueberries are from Blueberry Glen Farm in Duval. Uh, There's nine heirloom varieties all in the mix, uh, all planted before 1950. Um, Oh, yeah, and the apples we get are from uh, Wenatchee. uh, So then how do you decide? you got all this fruit. You could just make raspberry jam, make apple jam, or jelly, or whatever. I treat treat it like wine sourcing the fruit. I go out, and before I buy any fruit, I go bring out my refractometer, and I check for the bricks, which Uh is the fermentable sugar content. And so it's got to be well above uh, market standards for me to buy it. And, you know, luckily we work with these wonderful small farms that put so much love into everything they do. Because, you know, like you said, Washington has the best uh, farms, in my opinion, that, you know, and they're just so there's so much love involved in it. Okay, Uh, so how do we get the flavor profile? Sarah, is that your job? Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, raw sugar and honey, there's something about those flavors together that just like really bring out what fruit really should taste like. I mean, with with white sugar, I've noticed like it's just overly sweet Mm -hmm. and you just the fruit really doesn't come out. It just tastes like overly like soaked in sugar fruit and the natural sugar that the honey brings out. It really just it really just jam tastes like it's supposed to taste just fresh fruit not too sweet you really just taste the purity of the fruit when you want to be able to use it with like meats and seafoods as well Mm -hmm. so you know like uh like for example our uh, our citrus uh we do a lemonade marmalade uh with uh meyer lemons and then we also do blood orange marmalade uh, with all tree ripened citrus from a small family farm in arizona surprise arizona cotton lane citrus farm and we use that with, like, salmon. She'll do a little Dijon mustard, dill, a little extra lemon juice, and some brown sugar. Savvy, savvy. Oh, man. We're working on some recipe books in the coming I, future. I work really hard to try not to fluff up too much during the winter. So, 
you know, almost always you see apple jelly, right? Yeah. It's rare to actually see an apple jam. Mm-hmm. So, and, uh, so tell us about that. Actually, that idea came from our friends, Lovely and Dapper Desserts, who have a cake company. Mm-hmm. And they did an apple pie cake that for when they first started, because they started in September. So, of course, September, it's apple season. Sure. So they yep. made something with apples. And then the next year when we were friends and stuff, they asked if I could do an apple jam instead of them doing an apple pie filling to save them some time. And I was more than happy for that challenge. So I went out, I found some apples, and I found... Because at first I've done this before, but I didn't like the way I did it. It was more just like an overly thick applesauce. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I need to do something different. And so I chopped them up instead of cooking them down and apple pie came about and it's more of a apple preserve instead of a jam if you yeah no i like you ever use the uh the steamer what's that thing the steamer that produced the juice of the apple like i actually don't i have a machine that that does that and i I, I tried it once and it was pretty cool the flavor that comes out is awesome for jam uh, for jelly i mean oh yeah i've seen those on tv those look really interesting yeah they're very inexpensive and they're easy good tool to use so it's good to have friends that have fruit but you also apparently have friends that make beer yeah because in front of me i have the snoqualmie maybe beer jelly which is a carly ray jepson reference Uh, no no boat brewing company actually i don't know no no i meant the the song so call me maybe Come yes. on. Call me maybe. Yes. Well, no, so snow call me maybe is a. I, I'm sorry. Give me a little props there. Oh, Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's a locally made beer uh, with a kind of a citrusy IPA with a little orange juice and lemon juice. So it's really wonderful with like. Uh, beer chicken that's what we do instead of that so we put that all over with some herbs and spices any smoked cheese plate is amazing with it uh and then i'll incorporate into a like an aioli for a cheeseburger that's really tasty as well so it's a really fun versatile different one Mm -hmm. you know like any beer lover is like oh man that is really awesome and refreshing and stuff too so Mm. it's a it's a really Uh, fun one Mm -hmm. what other ones uh do you feel like you uh hit a home run with sarah Well, it's funny, the apple pie you were talking about, that one's a fun one for sweet and savory. Mm -hmm. I really like doing like little apple turnovers with it. Of course, it's good biscuits, scones, toast, all the above. But I actually do a pork loin with it. I butterfly that out and I rub some of that in there and roll it up with some spices and some Dijon mustard and cook it. And it's just, oh. Dijon mustard being the key there, yeah. Yeah, Dijon mustard was... With apple, mm-hmm. and and we do have some spicy jams as well. Which I is, know I got I got a kick on one of the jams that is on yeah, my little taster plate. The here. apricot yeah. jalapeno, uh-huh. and the apricot jalapeno has red jalapenos in the mix with wonderful tree ripe and apricots. And we uh, she uses that on pizzas, which you guys were talking about in the last segment. Like mm-hmm. it's a wonderful compliment. She'll do like sautéed onions, some prosciutto, uh, and then like put that over with some goat cheese. Of course, I mean mm-hmm. you got to have a good goat cheese on mm-hmm. a pizza and stuff. Who wouldn't? Yeah. Yes. Well, you guys love what you do. That's that you don't have to advertise that. That's very uh, much showing. Thank you. Well, and and we also like we just got accepted into the South Lake Union Farmers Market. We do the Fremont Sunday Market every week. We're at the Berrien Farmers Market as well, which is a wonderful little market. And then we're going to be doing the North Bend Farmers Market this year, mm-hmm. and we're featured with a wonderful uh, group of small businesses that incorporate us into the recipes too, like the Nook in West Seattle, the one best bar in West Seattle uses us in mixed drinks. And then the cake company, Lovely and Dapper, Emily and Drew make wonderful cakes that they feature us in their cakes. And it's such a compliment to what we do. You know? And can so. people find you online? It yeah. Sounds like Facebook, you're in a couple grocery Instagram, stores now. Our website. We are on the shelf at Aroma Coffee, which is a wonderful small little coffee house in uh-huh. Fall City. Okay. Uh, and then we'll be on the shelf soon here at uh, B&E Meats and Seafoods in Queen Anne, 
Newcastle, Burien, and their original location in Des Moines. So fun. What's their website? Uh, com. Sarah and Dana uh, McCormick have been our guests. Go out and check out their jams. They are fantastic. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Yeah. Thank, Thank you. you. Congratulations. Pamela, what's up next? Uh, burning listener questions. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society <laughs> Show, 97.3 FM. You know, this audience here at the Hot Stove Society Show is very active today. And they are burning with desire to have us answer their burning questions. So, uh, Pam, what have you collected out there? And uh, We're going to go rapid fire so we sure. get to them. And uh, I'd like you to each answer quickly each question. I All think right. she's looking at you. So. What, yeah, is your, what is your favorite type of eggs preparation? Baked Tom. eggs. Baked? Really? Tom? <laughs> Crispy edged fried eggs. Excellent. Do you eat Scandinavian Norwegian food like fish cakes and fish puddings or make it? Uh, I eat uh, air dried lamb and lefse. No. <laughs> <laughs> You said rapid fire. Let's go. <laughs> what are the best canned beans on the market? Oh, of course. Somebody's going to ask that. I can't remember the I brand. El, El Ranchero uh, beans are dried, and you should, they're easy to cook. El Gordo. No, El, can, Gordo. Can beans. El Gordo, yeah. Uh, PCC. Uh, I think there they is have a canned great, version. Great canned yeah. beans at PCC that I buy all the time, but I can't remember the brand. Amy's. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I can't. Thanks for nothing. Yeah, exactly. Bolognese sauce. How do I get that creamy texture? Uh, do you use a, a cream or a milk product, or is it just the pasta water? Just Answers. the pasta water. Typically, I have found bolognese is cooked with milk, but when you're finishing, you use the pasta water to kind of give you that right. creaminess. But you have to stir. You don't just add the water. You have to stir it right. and bring the starch out of the pasta like you do risotto, starch out of the rice. Burning question, gas or electric? Well, Whoa, I mean, I've, very used, timely. I've used gas all my life, but look at me. Electric is where it's at. <laughs> it's where it's going to go. And actually, that's not true. It shouldn't be just electric. We need to find a new source of heating because <laughs> none of these are going to be safe in the next 50 years, probably. So electric, yes. I think it, um, electric is easy to clean. It's clean product to cook with. Um, the problem with gas, then they're starting to discover which have claimed, and, and you know that, Tom, as well as I do, then it is not very um, safe to your lungs, I guess. Where do you weigh in on this? Uh, what, whatever's in front of me. I can use it all. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have there's no clear preference other than my mother's stove. <laughs> we got to get it hooked up. Uh, we were gifted a fresh quince, and the gifter suggested making membrio, 
We now have tons of it in the freezer. <laughs> but you do. Uh, suggestions for how to use it. They they do love it on um, a sharp cheddar and or brie. Are there other oh, yeah. wonderful applications for it? Just yeah. like the McCormick said, you can use it easily to glaze up a, a pork a roast. Piece of meat, yeah. uh, and, and you can use it for anything, honestly. You also Toast, can, cheese. You can mix it with a little vodka and makes a great cocktail. <laughs> you can also mix it with a little vinegar and it makes a great vinaigrette. Yeah. Oh, I love Love this one. Do you listen to music when you cook? And if yes, what is the type of your favorite music to listen to? Yes, and it depends on the mood I'm in. It can be jazz, it can be classic, it can be rock and roll, it can be 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s. That's where I stop. Whoa. <laughs> uh, I listen to music when I cook, and I, I, it depends on where, what my motives are. If I'm doing Valentine's dinner... Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was jazz. Then uh, The Big Night. I like The Big Night soundtrack. Oh, I love that soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite Seattle band or musician that you listen to? Brandy Carlisle. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with my, uh, my reggae man in, in Fremont, so Clinton. Wow. Clinton Ferron is his name. He's really, Does he really... play at Nectar? Yeah. He's playing, coming up soon. Look him up. 73 years old, I think. Sorry, Clinton, if I screwed that up. Brandy Carlisle is also, with her Looking Out Foundation, I noticed doing some Turkey and Syria earthquake relief is fundraising she? that she's matching through her foundation. So, uh, Is she hot as a pistol or oh what? Oh, my God. And all I can say is she was doing okay when she we, we met each other. And after we met each other, she was <laughs> hot as a pistol. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That's cool. That must be it. So that was I. It. <laughs> yeah. I was doing okay, but then I was doing greater. <laughs> um, do you have any entree kid-friendly ideas for Chinese using the Chinese twelve spice rub? Uh, have you ever bought it, Terry? For a kid? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna it's go. It's not with, spicy. I'm gonna go with chicken on yeah. a chicken, chicken yeah. fingers, or, or little uh, baby back ribs, or. And by the way, when we say chicken fingers, we mean you're buying chicken breast at least. And cutting those into fingers, right? Yeah, and not necessarily deep fried. Yeah, but not the, deep fried. the twelve spice you're referring to is the rub with love. It's, yes, it's in my line of stuff. And I, my rule of thumb for that is one tablespoon of rub, one tablespoon of lemon juice, one tablespoon of honey, and you make a little glaze with that on chicken satay or you know any sort of Whoa, little kebab. Does it need the honey or just for the stickiness? Stickiness, yeah, and it yeah, caramelizes when you cook it. I use it on butternut squash, hundred times. So good, just. Yeah, and tofu. So it's super versatile. All right, then we're, we're drilling. My grandson Hercules loves tofu, and I feel like I've done something wrong in my life. <laughs> uh, we're drilling down on pizza for a minute here. Pizza dough preferences. Sourdough or no? Absolutely so. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's a yes for Terry? Yeah. No, no. No. <laughs> Can you, uh, could you elaborate? And why no sourdough? I just sourdough. like a, just a plain yeast dough. It doesn't need to be sour. Yeah, I like sour because I like the flavor of it. You know, especially if you live in your fridge two, three days, it gets even sourer kind of idea. I like that. There you go. Is there any other, it, when you think of the possible array of flavors of pizza dough? Only when I look at your face. <laughs> and, and then I think cauliflower. Yes. If you love a cauliflower pizza. I do. Yeah. I'm, I'm a classic. I'm like my... my my mozzarella, tomato, and basil, 
in season, basil and tomato in season two. I thought you were talking about doughs. I was. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the toppings. Uh, no, I'm good. Sourdough. Make it sour. Make it sour. And um, they would like to know what you think of the current Detroit pizza trend. Yeah, mm. well, it went by. It, it did what, Chef? It just went right by me. Oh, there's a as shocker. In, as, in, <laughs> as in, I'm not, not that, uh, no. Mr. I'm starving, but I won't stop at McDonald's. Uh. <laughs> well, I tried it, and I was like, okay, so that's not a pizza anymore. Yeah. Um, I like it. I like the, um, I, I've, I have become more interested in Chicago slash Detroit-style pizza. I know you're not supposed to put the two together. But I've been, I, I used to hate them because, to me, it was just a pile of rubbish on top of too much crust. Right? It's like the thicker, the That's heavier, exactly the better. That's exactly how right? I was trying to describe it. But now that I've had more classic, what I consider more classic or more intentional Chicago-style pizza, it's really not about piling it up with a bunch of different ingredients. It's more about getting the tomato sauce caramelized around the edges, the pizza dough really crusty around the edges, the cheese broken but crispy. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, of Detroit-style pizza being a little bit more like that and the, the Chicago-style being a little bit more tomato sauce-based. And Yeah, to me, I have a Chicago pizza quite a few times when I was in Chicago. It doesn't 50, remind me of a 50 pizza. 50 years ago, chef. It's still the same pizza, just so you know. <laughs> they haven't changed the recipe. And let's finish with your, um, what your last meal is going to be. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to have to go to my mom's favorite, uh, my, my dish. I like that my mom makes, which is pot au feu. So hopefully I die in the winter because in the summer it, was, <laughs> it wouldn't be so appropriate. But yeah. it, uh, Your mom would be sweating up a storm. Well, so will I, eating yeah. it. But, um, you know, potato, cabbage, turnips, um, carrots, leeks, boiled with beef tail or beef neck. And um, that would be my, uh, my last. And take, take that broth and... Start that with some cracked vermicelli in there, just quickly cooked. Start with a soup. We call that a potage. Start with a potage and then eat all the meat and the vegetable after that with garnish with Dijon mustard, sea salt, and yes. cornichon. I've oh. already died waiting for Terry's last meal to be finished. <laughs> See, I want to die slowly. <laughs> Yours? Uh, rotisserie duck. Nice. Low and slow, dripping over a pan of potatoes. Because, you know, a good duck gives you two cups of duck fat. Yeah. That is some good potatoes down there. Yeah, you betcha. Uh, Rub with Love Tasty Trivia is on the docket when we come back on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show. 97.3 FM. I climbed across the mountain tops. Well, not exactly yogurt, but it has a taste of yogurt and also kind of look like yogurt. The shape should be like yogurt. Some people will think it's yogurt, but with a closer look at my yogurt, you'll discover it's not yogurt. Banana, vanilla. 
All right, we're wrapping up the Hot Stove Society show on Cairo Radio with our Rub with Love Tasty Trivia Challenge. Rub with Love is a line of flavorful dry spice rubs, a fabulous toasted chalet mustard, and four zingy sauces. When you have them in your pantry, you have lots of tools to elevate every meal. Rub with Love is available all around the region in Whole Foods, Sprouts, QFC. You can also visit Mutual Fish in Rainier Valley, Wildwood Market in West Seattle, and Sunny Farms Country Store in Squim. Or, if you happen to be in the Denver area, please visit one of three locations of Tony's Meats and Markets. So let's play, Chef, shall we? Uh, well, yes, I'm excited. We All have right. some wonderful Pamela, guests here. Pamela, how do we play and who's our, who's our victim? Um, we've got a series of questions. Each of the contestants is going to get five, and uh, someone's going to get the most right. And so, I'm so, Althea. Althea. Our Greek goddess. Our Greek goddess, and she has some lifeline support from Lars, the GM of the hotel here. So we're very excited. And is, uh, what is she going to win? Uh, whatever she wants. I'm going to take her over. <laughs> Whatever she wants. No, Alethea gets to go to the gift shop afterwards Yay. and pick out three rubs. We have a little red love. box that you can make a little gift pack with. Oh, I want the new rubs. You want the All new right. rubs. All right. Good time. She wants the fresh one. <laughs> chef, chef in the hat. Go ahead. Hit me. Uh, it's all, remember, we're thinking Mardi Gras. We're in a oh. New Orleans state of mind. Okay. Uh, this is multiple choice. What is the correct translation of Mardi Gras? Is it Street Party, Fat Tuesday, or Carnival of Roses? Uh, Fat Tuesday. Correct. Number two, what day comes after Mardi Gras? Wednesday Gras. (laughs) Skinny Wednesday. Wednesday. (laughs) Diet Wednesday. Diet Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday. The start of Lent. You heathen. You're not getting Where's your religious? I left that a long time ago. Sorry. What is the Mardi Gras slogan? Voulez-vous coucher avec moi or laissez le bon temps rouler? Laissez le bon temps rouler. Wow, Let chef, you're on a roll. time roll. Number four, what is the defining condiment on a muffletta sandwich? You should know this one, chef. You use it all the time on your oh, roast lamb. Harissa. No, just kidding. Just because you said I used it on my roast lamb, I was going to play with you. Or your salmon. Um, no, I'm going to go with thyme. <laughs> How's that? It is the briny, spicy olive salad olive layered in between the meat. You guys knew that, right? I gave you that one, Yeah, chef. I know, I know. Nice. Uh, what is, and finally, what is the signature Mardi Gras dessert? Uh, well, I'm going to go with um, the Queen King's Galette, which yes. is King's Cake. I mean, we'll you know, which is typical and classic. That's the little, to- little toy king on the little inside. Little toy king on the inside. You break your teeth and then you're the king for the day. All right. How Three do you out do? of five. Three out of five. It's Alicia, just about do you want to watch one more segment or do you want to go next? Let's just go for Let's it. Let's go for it. All right. What is the name of the spicy pork sausage in gumbo? Starts with an A. A dooley. Yes. 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 Yay. Yes. Way, way, to, way to go. Good start. Good strong yeah. start. What is the popular rum drink widely consumed in the streets of New Orleans during Mardi Gras? Might be related to a huh? storm. A hurricane. Yay! <laughs> I totally forgot that. Uh, you know, you can do drive through hurricanes down there. So. Three, what is the official state donut in Louisiana? Beignet. Yay! Oh, my God. Wow. Screaming into the lead. Um, 
How many, this is, I'm going to give you a multiple choice. How many king cakes are sold during the average carnival season in New, New Orleans? Remember, carnival starts on the 12th night and goes up to when, to Mardi Gras. So is it 11,000, 25,000, or 500,000? We're going to go 25. 500. Wow. Oh, a lot of cake. That's a lot of cake. That's a lot of cake. <laughs> That's and crazy. Finally, um, Bananas Foster was invented in a New Orleans restaurant and is still a favorite dessert in Louisiana. Can you describe its most distinguishing visual feature? When they bring it to the table, what happens? It's flaming. Yes! <laughs> yes! Four out of five. I think, uh, I think we might have gotten crushed there, Chef. Yeah, I think... Good uh, teamwork. Beat me by one. Oh. Uh, hi, Tom. Hello, Pam. What are the, Aloha. <laughs> what are the signature colors of Mardi Gras? And bonus points if you know what each color represents. So no bonus points. But we'll take and the I'm colors. I'm going to say purple, gold, and blah, blah, blah. Oh. Look at your mask. <laughs> oh, look at my mask. Green, Yay! purple, and gold. Gold. Yeah. Green yeah. represents faith. Gold symbolizes power. And purple is for justice. What states recognize Fat Tuesday as a holiday? What states? <laughs> in the United States of America? In the, in the United States of America. Uh, Louisiana. I know. That was yes. going to be my first guess. <laughs> I'm like, what is There are Louisiana? two more where There's it's a legal holiday. A legal holiday. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say uh, Mississippi and Florida. Florida and Alabama. Oh, I think he gets a point five on that. Yep. In the United Kingdom, Mardi Gras is also known as Pancake Day. Really? Do you know why? Because they're they've broken out in acne and they need pancake makeup <laughs> from all the Thanks. hurricanes they drink. Thanks to a tradition that dates back to the Middle Ages, the idea was that pancakes were an ideal way to use up animal-based food items like milk, butter, and eggs that wouldn't be allowed during Lent. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Fantastic. Please describe crawfish etouffee. <laughs> uh, you know, Chef Paul Prudhomme actually has made me crawfish etouffee. Ooh. Yeah. It's done with a little bit of a dark brown or blackened roux, and it's a, kind of a gravy with lots of spices in it, and then uh, the crawdads are simply sauteed with it. Beautiful, Served over John. rice. And Terry, would you tell him the translation of etouffee? Strangled. Strangled. As in, strangling. But it's used in the case of etouffee, I think it's because it's covered when it's cooked, you know, baked and cooked slowly. So because of that, it's kind of like killing the, the whole fire kind of idea. So I think that's why they were using that as a word to start with, because I can think of... Unless they were talking about the crawdad going into the no, into the they, pot. the smothering strangling was the translation. Right. <laughs> Finally, Tom, it's not just the tradition; it's the law that everyone on a float must wear a mask or paint their face. The practice was originally started to encourage people to mingle and talk to those outside of your social circle. But what time does New Orleans law require masks to be removed? Before Lent. <laughs> Before Ash Wednesday. 
We'll take it. It's 6 p.m. 6 p.m. <laughs> it hardly seems <laughs> worth it. <laughs> How'd he do, Terry? Cool. They both did oh, cool. Oh, You get Nice job, Lars down. and Alicia. Have fun in the gift shop after the, after the show. If you want to be part of the show, you can join the community on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas and Company. Also, remember, if you miss any episode of the Hot Stove Society Show in Cairo, you can listen via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. And uh, the show is produced, of course, here by Pamela Hinckley. Sean is our technical director, McFadden. And our editor is Sean. Don't call me Del Torre, please. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to support the restaurants for Syria and Greece. Yeah, Wednesday the 22nd. 20% goes to earthquake relief. 